Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs at ASA. On this episode, my guest is Josh Phillips, owner and president of Spawn Fly Fish, a fly shop located in the small town in coastal Washington state called Iwako. I had the pleasure of spending some time last week with Josh as he was in D.C. preparing to testify before the Small Business Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. The hearing focused on the challenges of small business entrepreneurs in rural areas, and Josh provided some insightful testimony on issues that people in more populated areas may take for granted, like broadband access, local banking options, and the high cost of essential services. He was also able to make the connection of the importance of sustainable natural resources and fishing businesses like his. Josh is a pretty impressive guy, and I think you'll enjoy hearing his story and a behind-the-scenes look of what testifying before Congress is all about. Let's dive in. All right. On this episode of Politics of Fish podcast, I'm happy to have with me Josh Phillips, who's the owner and president of Spawn Fly Fish, which is a fly shop based in Iwako, Washington, a quaint little community there, which I'm looking forward to visiting one of these days. So, Josh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining here and talking a little bit about your background and um, this recent experience you had uh, coming to D.C. Yeah, Mike, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. And first of all, thanks for all the help and support you gave me in Washington, D.C. I, I would have struggled immensely uh, without your guidance, navigating through the halls and making sure I met with the right people. So really appreciative of that. But yeah, we're a fly shop here in Iwaka, Washington. Uh, what kind of sets us apart from other fly shops is we do a handful of what is kind of deemed light manufacturing. We make some synthetic products. We do some stainless steel products um, that are components for fly tying. Um, and those are in shops across the country. And uh, yeah, it's been a fun journey. We're six years in and started in the bedroom uh, like a lot of businesses do. Graduated to the living room, then <laughs> the garage, um, outgrew the parents' garage, got kicked out. And now we uh, have a 5,400 square foot building in Iwaka, Washington that we have a brick and mortar fly shop in as well as use as sort of a distribution hub. The back of it's uh, very organized and cataloged to house our now it's, we just, I think we just crossed 13,000 SKUs this week. I'd have to fact check me on that, but uh, we're, we're very close if we haven't surpassed it. Either way, a lot more than you were doing when you were working out of the bedroom. Um, oh yeah. We started with five. <laughs> we started with five, six years ago. So yeah. five initial products and have kind of been on a fast track trajectory ever since investing every penny back into the business and working other jobs and keeping the dream of the fishing shop alive so yeah we, well, six years in i'm sure you've Sorry. learned a lot along, along the way but still you know looking at the the long-term journey still relatively early on so uh well i guess josh first tell us a little bit about like your background what prompted your interest in fishing to the point of you know having that thought of maybe i should see if i can make a career out of this and and you know what led to that personal interest and then transitioning towards uh the business you've had running yeah so as Mike knows and listeners of this podcast know, uh, there's been another gentleman on the show, Larry Phillips, uh, father of mine. He uh, he was a fisheries biologist in Washington State uh, while I grew up. So every weekend was spent uh, on the water. And I loved every aspect about the world of fishing. And it really drew me in. But uh, as I grew a little older, I digressed from fishing and um, followed a career path that was 
sports related. I played soccer at the Gonzaga University um, and was fortunate enough to play post-college professionally for five years after graduating. And during this time period, it's not, uh, from what I understand in the fishing industry, it's not unfamiliar to completely digress from fishing at some point in your life, but it always kind of brings you back. And while I was playing in Colorado, I was literally going from practice to the river every single day. And I was, I mean, I was fishing 1500 hours a year. Easy. I was, I did the math one day and I spent a lot of time Mm. on the water and it got to the point where, uh, I amassed a decent social following given the uniqueness of fishing and soccer. And at that point I knew my career wouldn't last forever. I studied business at Gonzaga and I thought to myself, I know fishing very well. I've been around it my entire life. We'll see if we can give this a go and got together with a couple other guys and launched our first product. It was a bit of a disaster. I mean, my grandma and mom bought a few, but, uh, Outside of that, outside of that, it was a little bleak, but we just stuck to it and kept at it. And yeah, that that's the background that like really brought me into it. I would say my father has a lot of inspiration um, in that. And I didn't, I didn't go to school long enough to be a biologist, nor did I really want to be on that side of the industry, but I knew I wanted to do something with fishing. So this so what- was like a good kind of catalyst for that. Yeah. Well, I think it's similar to a lot of folks that are in this industry of, um, you know, they've always had a personal passion for it, got to a point where they realized they needed a job and yeah. looked for a way to blend the two together. And usually it works, uh, especially if you're dedicated to it and made of the right stuff. Uh, well, what's particularly interesting with where you've set up and uh, where you're operating out of. So you're in Iwako, Washington. Tell us a little bit about the community there, what life's like, and uh, I guess what drew you to eventually locate your your business there? Yeah, I would honestly say the vast majority of questions that we get the second they walk through the door is why a Waco? And they <laughs> kind of say it with that tone. You know, there's a little bit of underlying, not disgust, but just confusion as to why we would bring a fly shop to a community that isn't predominantly known for fly fishing. So growing up as a kid, uh, when I talked about fishing on the weekends and experience fishing, uh, the buoy 10 fishery in the mouth of Columbia down here is a very big deal. Um, so we have salmon, which is comes in the river, but there's also other target species offshore like albacore, halibut, lingcod, rockfish. And all of my memories, or not all of them, but a, a lot of my memories growing up were camping in all the campsites around here and experiencing those fisheries. And at one point, my family became so obsessed with the place and everything that I had to offer that they bought a little um, fishing shack for better or worse, just a room with bunk beds and a little kitchen, uh, which me and my fiance currently live in. So I, I knew that we wanted to leave uh, the city of Olympia. We wanted to own real estate and operate a business, especially on the e-commerce side at scale without being restricted by square footage and shipping speed. So we tested all these kinds of things and, a building came for sale in Iwako and we just jumped at it. Frankly, we um, saw it as a big opportunity, but Iwako was one of several cities that we were looking at very closely in the West. They were all rural. They were all small, like the community that we live in right now. We wanted to kind of ease into the idea of owning a brick and mortar uh, shop. We didn't have the finances to just open up um, a really experience based store. So we had to take it one step at a time and 
this community allowed for it. And at first there was some um, hesitancy, you know, we, these rural communities see a lot of businesses kind of come and go and uh, an e-commerce business moving to a rural community is um, can go either way. You know, we could be a ghost in the community or we could be heavily involved and we chose to be heavily involved. And uh, since then it's been nothing but positive. You know, the community really wants us to succeed at this point. They want to see other businesses like us come here and we hope to inspire others by showing that if, if a fly shop in Owaka, Washington, where there's really no known fly fishing opportunities close, although we shed light on quite a few of them, there's mm-hmm. no, there's no historic fly fishing um, opportunities that, uh, that anybody can bring a business out here and, and kind of thrive. So yeah. that's cool. the, that's the big picture kind of idea. It works. You know, there's, there's tons of streams uh, and rivers locally that are frankly phenomenal fishing opportunities. The problem that we have is none of them are uh, like a Montana, you know, none of them are the Madison where you can just kind of hop in a drift boat or a hop into a raft and kind of float down and cast and drink a beer. You know, we don't have any of that. All of the places that we're fishing are hiking in, getting off the grid, but if you're willing to do that and if you're able to do that, it's it's very exceptional. What's the, just out of curiosity, what's the balance of your business between your in-store brick and mortar versus e-commerce? From a, like a dollar's perspective? Yeah. I mean, if you can give rough sort of. Yeah. I would say it's probably 90% online. Yeah. Okay. We do sell kayaks and we do sell some conventional local gear. So some blue foxes and some halibut gear, link cut gear, just some twitch and jigs, stuff like that. Um, we obviously sell a lot more of those type of products in store. The kayaks on our website, but I, uh, I'm not quite sure what I would do if somebody actually bought one online. <laughs> <laughs> I have a disclaimer that says that we won't ship them, but um, hopefully they're local. Sometimes, yeah, you know, when you sell things on the internet, um, it's shocking how many people don't actually read anything about the product. They just look at the picture. Yeah. Would you so. say your balance of your time is... 10% there at the physical store, 90% online. Like, or how are you allocating your focus? Yeah. So I'm, I'm there at the store six days a week from roughly seven 45 to six o'clock. And from usually like six 30 to seven 45, I'm doing emails at the house, but uh, you know, the, the storefront does take up a decent portion of time. There's a lot of cases where, I'm, I may be from a cost perspective, allocating a lot more time to the less uh, financially lucrative part of our business. But what we do is we try and make sure that everybody that walks through the door has an, it leaves with a really positive impression. So it's really hard for me to, to judge because a lot of times people come in the shop, uh, whether they're traveling out of town for one of our fisheries or clam dig or crabbing or some sort of recreational event is generally the people that walk through our door. They, although they might just buy a hat in the store, if we're able to spend some time with them and connect, uh, those people generally end up shopping with us online. So that's, yeah, I guess that's sort of what I was wondering about is, you know, the, the value you place in terms of longevity, brand loyalty with someone that's coming in there versus someone that might visit your website. It might 
warrant devoting a little bit more time to that person that's there in person. I'm For sure. We, yeah, we want, uh, so my partner Pete and I are always in the shop and we want people to know that we're there and we want people to have conversations with us. Some of our largest competitors in our, in our fly tying space don't fish to the same level that we do. Um, and people that fish get it and they, they know they can smell it out whether or not you truly fish or not. And those people that do come in and, and connect with us know that we tie every day. They know that we're like, I got my kayak loaded up in the back of my truck, ready to hit the mouth of the Columbia after we're done with this conversation. So they know when they leave here that we're, we're dialed in. So, and, and it, it does make a big difference, you know, then they end up calling us for questions or calling us when they're stuck or trying to have us explain something to them. They bring the rods in and whatnot. And that's really differentiates us. I would say. Yeah. And presumably they're telling their friends about it and yeah. Yeah, exactly. At some point we will need to make sure that that level of customer interaction is, is met. And that's a big challenge for me as an owner and a worry I've been into tackle shops where it's generally somebody that's very old and very knowledgeable or somebody that's um, maybe in high school. So we want to make sure that we have a really healthy balance when we do get somebody in there that's still on the water all the time, still very knowledgeable. Um, so that's going to be, that'll be something that I overcome as an owner and something that I haven't quite let go of yet. Um, but I'll be, I mean, I'll have to at some point because yeah. I can't be there 24 seven for the rest of my life. Well, if you've got your kayak loaded up, ready to get on the water, let's get to the, uh, the more oh, pertinent no, subject no, at hand. Is, this, is, this is just as important. The fish, the fish will still be there. Yeah, no, but I uh, don't, don't want to hold you back. So you, um, you were invited to testify for Congress, uh, which happened last week at the small business committee, which is pretty neat experience and, uh, opportunity and not something everybody gets to say they've gotten to do over the course of their life. So, uh, I guess starting, how did that invitation come about? It was a, a site visit from your uh, a staff of your member of Congress. Is that right? Yeah. So um, Tim is his name. I don't want to mispronounce his last name, but Tim, uh, he was a staff of Marie Glusenkamp Perez, our local congresswoman, and uh, did a site visit, knew that we had some issues surrounding recreational access uh, locally as it pertains to big timber companies. Um, and public lands behind gates that timber companies manage. And he just sat in, listened to our concerns that we have locally with access, uh, specifically to public lands and fishing opportunities. And he thought it was a great topic. And he said he would follow up with me, which he did promptly. And then the congresswoman actually came out and we hosted a roundtable discussion on the issue with other local stakeholders um, from across the spectrum, not just in the fishing industry, um, but from mountain biking, um, from foraging, bird watching, um, local politician. So it was great. And uh, we kind of touched on it. And while she was there, she being the um, congresswoman, she got to know about our business, what we're going through, some of the hurdles that we've overcome, successes that we've had. and really right must have enjoyed it you know i i don't communicate with her directly very often but i got an email from uh, a member of her staff saying that there was this opportunity coming up and then i got connected with um, some other staffers from congress and did some interviews 
and said that they want me to come out. And so it was pretty organic. You know, I didn't have any sort of prior knowledge to any of this. I'd never, I'd never been to Washington, DC. So it was, it was a really cool experience in that regard. And it, it meant a lot to the community locally. It meant a lot to me. And yeah, I don't know anybody else that's testified in Congress. So it is very, it is very unique. Um, yeah. And you were able to do it in probably more pleasant opportunity than what you all see on the news where it's, you know, high ranking yeah. federal agency officials getting grilled. Uh, and we yeah. talked about this a lot when you were up here of the committees to testify in front of the the small business committees, one of the smoother, easier, less contentious ones. Um, and that seemed to be the way it, it went for you. But uh, so well, tell us a little bit about, about that experience in D.C., especially it being your first time. Yeah, the hearing ended up being, what, an hour and a half long. But your trip ended up being built around a, a good bit longer than that. So what else were you able to take in um, while you were here? In addition to the hearing itself and the prep for it, you, you were able to do a little bit more uh, sightseeing type of stuff too. Yeah. So I flew in on a Monday, Monday night, late um, Tuesday, we are an ASA member. So I was able to meet up with yourself. Um, and like I said, before the podcast, definitely owe a lot of the experience that I was able to have based on the relationship uh, with you and uh, and ASA, because I know that I would have struggled in getting to really understand and, and get a feel for how this all works. So on Tuesday morning, I was able to meet with um, a bunch of congressional staff throughout the day and prep for the hearing, just kind of understand where uh, the story that I had, where I sit on some issues and whatnot. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. I thought it was a really cool experience to have the opportunity to sit down in some of these congressional offices and and learn how it works, you know, because I've seen these hearings on TV, usually just the animated ones. Um, but I do, I have seen these hearings and what goes on behind um, or in preparation for these hearings is is tough. You know, you're, I, I was worried I was going to lose my voice the first day because I'm <laughs> continually talking about the opportunities that we would like to see and the challenges that we face and, and so, so forth. But that part was really exciting. I got to meet a lot of people that are in Washington, DC and just see like, the magnitude of, of everything that's going on. You know, was, I'm in a really small fishing town and fortunate to be a business owner. So my schedule is chaotic which I like, but it's chaotic on my own terms, where this was uh, very punctual. Every meeting had a time and those times were limited, you know, it was, it was 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there and so forth throughout the day, which which was different than what I'm used to. But it was it was also exciting. You know, you always had something to look forward to in a short turnaround. And that part of it, I really enjoyed and kind of bouncing from conversation to conversation I enjoyed. I also was fortunate to hear and listen to some of these congressional leaders talk and was very impressed um, and borderline inspired. You know, we I joked to Mike about it that there was interest in, in my uh, realm for something like this at some point, maybe. But their ability to move from conversation to conversation was was fascinating, whether it's listening to what I have to say and then jumping into uh, another topic right away. Uh, was pretty impressive and the level of knowledge that they must have because I was only there to discuss one issue and I know the prep time that I put into it. So that, that part was that part I really enjoyed. I thought that was really cool. And just 
And honestly, just to see the, the magnitude of DC, that was, that was pretty fascinating. I got to do a capital tour, which was a lot of fun. It was a one-on-one tour um, set up by Congresswoman uh, Glusencon Perez's office and the gentleman that took me around the knowledge he had on every inch of that place was impressive. And I didn't realize there was as much art in the Capitol. For some reason, I just thought of it as uh, a little less artistic, but the inside of it was pretty impressive and uh, really pretty, honestly. So I don't know why I thought it would be so dull and business oriented, but yeah, I mean, I guess you see the outside of it and sort of to some degree, assume the inside is going to be a similar, you know, monotone and, and that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, a lot of big murals and statues and all sorts of stuff in there. I try when I'm going around Congress and, and see those things to like not take it for granted because like your experience of coming there and seeing that for the first time, I try and view it with fresh eyes because it is it is pretty neat to be able to be up there and, and see it that much. Um, so when the lights came on and the hearing started, you had five minutes and then there was a few questions. Uh, so you had, you know, to make your trip worthwhile. And, and serve the purpose you were asked for, you had to boil down a lot of you know your thoughts and messages you wanted to deliver into really concise points. What, what were the key messages you, you wanted to deliver and felt like you did deliver in, again, a relatively brief amount of time uh, in that committee hearing? Yeah, so the opening statement was, I learned a lot in that regard. Um, and I think Given I have, if I ever get a second opportunity, I'll be a little more structure oriented. Uh, I do want to tell my story, but I want to make sure that the points I getting across are heard a little more loudly, I guess. Uh, so the challenges that we were bringing forth were the lack of housing in our rural community. So my ability to attract um, a young, talented staff is very challenging. We wanted to make sure that the need for recreational opportunities was heard. So whether that be fishing primarily given our situation, but also just recreation in general, we wanted to make sure that whether it's the water where the fish live or it's the access to public lands, um, we wanted to make sure that Congress knows what that means to a community like us. And then we touched a little bit about uh, broadband and what it's like, what it's like in a a rural community. Um, there was a little bit on the farm or there was a lot on the farm bill, given the other um, individuals testifying, but they did uh, bring up the need for clean water. Um, so I was glad that I got to at least answer one question in regards to to that bill. Yeah, well, hopefully the experience was worthwhile. I mean, we were running around doing all that prep work and visiting with a bunch of offices and everyone was talking about all the other hearings that were going on at the same time. I think there were something <laughs> like 300 congressional hearings going on that week which to your point about how much is how how active and busy and bustling everything is um it is uh, there's quite a lot going on for folks that are on the outside and all you see is like the major you know headlines of congress bogged down and you know can't get things done like that's true for some things but all the other stuff there's like 99% of the t- stuff they're working on that's all behind the scenes doesn't get on the headlines it requires a lot of work and a lot of activity so you got to see yeah. uh, a lot of that in motion uh, in real time. So um, for sure. Yeah. They were jumping from hearing to hearing that, that part I wasn't, uh, I didn't, that didn't even cross my mind mm-hmm. as an actual, <laughs> as an actual thing, you know, they come, they listen, they answer the questions um, and then they're off to the next hearing. I didn't, I didn't know that was, and it was something I was briefed on to make sure that if somebody gets up and walks out while I'm speaking, that's, 
it's not personal <laughs> it's not it's not you yeah it's not me. They, they just gotta go uh check up on some other things so yeah unless you're the chair of the the hearing and therefore you have to be there the whole time yeah it's pretty rare you see them sticking around the whole time um because yeah there's places to go they serve on multiple committees and bunch of other stuff to do so it is a busy busy life well so we talked about this a little bit offline so you're you're running for city council hopefully we'll find out some news before long about that um so you're getting involved in politics at a personal level but also uh you know professionally so i don't know in a general sense why do you think it's important to get involved in politics because a lot of people see and hear enough to sort of turn the other way and say oh i don't want to do any of that what what drives you to Again, both from the business and the sport fishing industry, as well as you know, at a personal level, what, what drives you to want to be, be willing to subject yourself to the, the grind and the the challenges that come with it? Yeah, uh, over the last three years, I mean, I didn't have a political background, but over the last three years, coming to a small community where it really opened my eyes to the ability to bring forth change and the ability to connect with people um just in general was was brought brought to my attention and we see these political posts whether it's on facebook or instagram or twitter you know and people kind of gripe about how they want things to be and the reality of it is is that 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 post does nothing you know and the tweet is not going to get the or bring forth the change or the facebook post and in order to really make this community a better place, you have to, you have to have boots on the ground. And in part, you guys have the same, same sort of idea, right? You have, you have yourself and other staff members in Washington, DC, because that's what it takes. And I learned that, you know, you can't just go to one meeting and yell, you know, nothing, literally nothing comes of that. And I was, it, it is very clear. So in order to make this community a place where people would want to spend time and where recreational opportunities could continue and, and all of these things that I, I love and hold dear and other members of our community love and hold dear. I felt borderline obligated because I, I believe that I can do it and I uh, just have the bandwidth to comprehend some of these things and get the information out there, listen to people and put forth ideas that I think could bring, bring about positive change. So that was a lot of it is, it, it bothered me to my core when I would attend some of these meetings and they would use the meeting as a time to read over the agenda for the first time and just the inability to come prepared, which leads to the lack of decision-making um, and prolongs the problems that our community faces is very frustrating for a young adult that moved here and is buying a home and owns a business and wants to raise a family the things they just won't change, you know, because there there's no standard of how. Um, so a lot of a lot of what I want to do just right off the bat, it's not super policy driven. It's just action, you know, just show up, be ready for the meeting, know all there is to know or that I can know about the topic. Make sure that I speak to stakeholders and put forth a good argument on one side of the, on one side or the other, so that a decision can actually be made. So that that part was really inspiring because it was some of the meetings are tough and some of the meetings I'm the only person in the in the you call it crowd but I'm the only person there from the community. So 
it's not like they're that they're being delayed because of public input or something along those lines. There's there was delays caused internally that I think can be sorted out pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, so again, sounds like if that answers in- that question, that was like yeah. a lot of blabbling. No, no, no. It sounds like you'll you'll find out in short order whether uh, this, this initial foray into politics is is gonna yeah out and, and for better or worse I, Here you for go. sure yeah and I don't know if they'll like that so like these old com- these uh, older coastal communities you know they they have a way of doing things and we'll we'll see but I think I do have quite a bit of support um, but then again uh, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of change that's truly appreciated sometimes. We'll see. I think I've connected on on a really positive level with those individuals and they know I mean well and want the community to be successful. Yeah. Well, as we talked about some last week, I think, again, I've never been an elected official. I don't know, but I imagine a lot of what's going to have to keep people in it is finding the wins and the victories because, you know, the idea that you're going to go in and be this grand reformer and change everything overnight generally doesn't happen. So it's a long, hard grind. You have to... You yeah. have to, in order to not get too beaten down, you have to, you know, have perspective and yep. see uh, see where you are making progress, uh, even if it's minor incremental, because, um, yeah, otherwise it can, For sure. it can and beat I think people down I, pretty quick. Over the first year and a half when I attended these meetings, I didn't really say anything ever. You know, I didn't want to be that person that just shows up to town and just with a bulldozer, just says the way things are done is wrong. This is how you do it. All right, Josh. Well, uh, really appreciate having you on here and uh, sharing the story and perspective. And um, again, it was an hour and a half of congressional hearing that'll go in a transcript somewhere. And uh, hopefully members of Congress took something away from it and will act on it. But it's really important to participate in these things and have your voice heard. And uh, and, and especially as an industry to be viewed, as you mentioned before, as you and three farm ag witnesses, which, you know, by and large are generally recognized as a large, important political industry. Um, so to have someone from the sport fishing industry up there too, I think was, was pretty neat to see. So, um, so thanks so much for doing that. I was happy to help show you around. There's not a whole lot of, uh, opportunities I get to impress people with my knowledge of which tunnel connects, which house building. To <laughs> next. So, I, was, uh, I was impressed by far more than just the knowledge of the tunnels. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, all right, Josh, well, I'll let you get back to it and and let you do some fishing. So, um, so thanks again for uh, the time and look forward to staying in touch. Sounds good. Thank you, Mike. Thanks again to Josh for visiting with us and sharing his experience. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review and share the politics of fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.